the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How about raising it to 26? Maybe you thought the unbelievably stupid idea of lowering the voting age was a joke, but it's back, and it's being proposed as an amendment to a really bad bill. Here's the always dangerous and amazingly dumb Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I rise today in support of my amendment to H.R. 1, the For the People Act. H.R. 1 is bold, transformative legislation which fights voter suppression, promotes access to the ballot, cracks down on money in politics, and provides transparency to the American people. Passing this bill has never been more urgent. We must act to protect and preserve our democracy. My amendment gets to the heart of H.R. 1 and recognizes the contributions that young people continue to make to our democracy. By lowering the federal voting age from 18 to 16 years of age, my amendment would enfranchise young Americans to help shape and inform the policies that will set the course for our future. From police violence to immigration reform to climate change to the future of work and minimum wage, our young people are organizing, mobilizing, and calling us to action. They are at the forefront of social movements and have more than earned inclusion in our democracy. Mr. Speaker, 16 and 17-year-olds, constituents of mine, are supporting their families. They are working not for enrichment or to build a resume, but because they have no choice. They are attending school full-time and taking care of loved ones in the midst of the COVID crisis. Young people are contributing both to the labor force and their local economies by paying taxes, and yet they are deprived of the opportunity to exercise their right to vote. Some have questioned the maturity of our youth. I don't. 16 and 17 year olds today possess wisdom and maturity defined by today's challenges, hardships and opportunities. They deserve and demand a government that is accountable to them, a government that values their voices and understands the depth and breadth of their lived experience. They are not a monolith, but they are nation builders living through a global pandemic, confronting racial injustice and rebuilding our democracy. Now is the time for us to meet the moment and enfranchise 16 and 17 year olds. Yeah. There, I think she said they're nation builders. 26 would actually make more sense. Uh, that's the age that insurance companies are required to keep kids on their parents' policies these days because uh, so many of these uh, mature people that she's talking about are are still living at home. They're not getting married, and they more and more they are living longer and longer with their parents, and this idiot thinks that they are showing... Uh, uh, the signs of being ready to vote at 16. They're not ready at 25. Uh, anyway, when we come back, we'll talk about the stupidity of H.R. 1, which she referred to there. That was her amendment. And in our second half hour, the stupidity of canceling Dr. Seuss. Stick around. Some home repairs just can't wait for spring, especially a leaky roof or drafty old windows. Well, you can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, windows, gutters, and downspouts, siding, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew, so don't put it off. Right now, Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Get new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office. Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial, aluminum, wood, and composite. And to show their appreciation to stag fans everywhere, you'll also get 10% off your total project when you mention this show. Get 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and 10% off. Backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsrus.com. Pittsburgh.com.
Benjamin Franklin once wrote, <laughs> Nothing can be said to be certain, except death and taxes. Uh, hold on there, Benji. Oh. You can't even rely on that much, thanks to identity thieves. Pardon? Tax forms have all your personal info in one place. And this is the season when it can get emailed, shared, and possibly exposed to identity thieves. They might even try to file your tax return before you do. This shan't stand. No, it shan't. Because LifeLock monitors your info and alerts you to identity threats. If you become a victim, a dedicated U.S.-based specialist will help fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions. But LifeLock helps you keep what's yours. Join today and save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com with promo code SMART. That's promo code SMART for 25% off at LifeLock.com. And remember, 25% saved is 25% earned. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-555-1509. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes, are overweight, or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-555-1509. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-555-1509. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-555-1509. 800-555-1509. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. You're listening to The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. A pretty big story may be getting lost in the uh, the confusion with Andy Cuomo's problems, COVID-19, states opening up and all that stuff. The Democrats are trying to do serious damage to the way we vote. It's called H.R. 1, the For the People Act of 2021. What it's really for is the Democrats. And Zach Smith is a legal fellow for legal and judicial studies at the uh, at the Heritage Foundation and a former assistant U.S. attorney. And he's here to explain what it's all about. Zach, always good to have you on. Thanks for coming back. Of course. Thanks so much for having me on, John. I really appreciate it. So uh, before we get into the details, what's the big picture of what the Democrats are trying to do here? Well, the big picture is this is a a radical bill that would fundamentally transfer many of the uh, setting of election rules and procedures from state governments over to the federal government. And really, this bill mandates many procedures that would fundamentally make our electoral process less secure. Now, this doesn't seem like... um a good time to be doing that after what we just went through. But thats I guess that's the point, though. They saw what we went through, well, and they want to do it again. Well, you know, it certainly seems to be uh, being advanced right now for partisan political purposes. But if I can, let me give you and your listeners just an overview of some of the, the proposals this, this bill would require. Yeah, it would require state... Yeah, it would require states. So first of all, this is an 800-page behemoth of a bill. <laughs> so which you know, nobody will read. Good luck. Right. You know. So good luck getting through it all. Yeah. Uh, but basically, it requires states uh, to require states to allow same-day voter registration. 
it would automatically require states to register individuals from certain state and federal databases. This means non-citizens would be registered. This means other ineligible voters would be registered. It bans states from requiring a photo ID to vote. Uh, it bans states from requiring voters to uh, cast their election day ballot in their assigned precinct. It requires states to allow no-fault absentee vote uh, ballots. And then it prohibits states from requiring things like uh, witness signatures or notarization requirements. Uh, it requires states to allow the counting of absentee ballots up to 10 days after election day. It requires states to allow vote harvesting, which is uh, allowing third parties to go out and collect absentee ballots and uh, submit them to election uh, officials. It prohibits states from cross-checking their voter rolls against certain voter databases. It requires states to automatically re-enfranchise everyone who's convicted uh, of a felony. Uh, it, re you know, it requires uh, basically nonprofits uh, to make certain disclosures. Uh, it empowers the IRS to basically review the, the politics and policies of certain nonprofits and organizations before granting them a tax-exempt status. It proposes to restructure the bipartisan Federal Election Commission into a partisan body, proposes to take away the power of state legislatures to draw congressional districts, and there's a whole host of other actions it takes. But I think just by that, that list, you know, it should really become apparent uh, what bad policies this bill promotes. And again, what a fundamental and radical shift of power from the states to the federal government uh, this bill proposes to, to introduce. And you can see why it's 800 pages, and you didn't even run down every uh, little item in there. No, um, no. And, and um, just just before we get on here, that's uh, I, 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 pr I played at the beginning of the show the soundbite from Ayanna Presley, who with a straight face has introduced an amendment to lower the voting age to 16. So... What's next? Twelve? I mean, why stop at sixteen? Right. Let's just let anybody who can read, who's old enough to read, uh, can vote. If you can read the ballot. Well, and again, you know, the the other interesting aspect of this, you know, I anticipate that if this bill were to pass, which hopefully it won't pass the Senate, but if it were to pass and be signed into law uh, by Joe Biden, you know, I anticipate a lot of litigation would result as as a result of this bill. But this bill even tries to stack, back and stack the deck in its favor on that front as well uh, by requiring all lawsuits related to H.R. 1 or any of its provisions uh, to be filed in federal district court in D.C. instead of in the courts around the country. And so, again, you know, this certainly seems to be advanced for partisan political purposes. Uh, and again, as uh, you know, I keep saying it, but it really is a fundamental and radical a transformation of uh, how we make our election rules and procedures. And uh, it's not getting a lot of attention because of everything else that's going on with uh, Governor Cuomo and, and all the usual COVID stupidity. Um, is, it, is it something that could be kind of uh, sneaked through? Uh, and, uh, or is it something, as you said, is gonna, once it gets down to the serious work, that there are going to be a lot of uh, people raising red flags? Well, I hope there, there will be a lot of people raising red flags. Unfortunately, you know, these days it's a, it's a little bit like drinking from a fire hose in terms of trying yeah. to keep up with all of the, the proposals uh, being forward right now. Uh, but, you know, this same bill, an almost identical bill, was passed by the House of Representatives last year. It was dead on arrival in the Senate, which was obviously still controlled by the Republican Party at that time. You know, the hope is, again, that even though the Senate is now under Democratic control, that enough senators will still pause, take stock, realize, you know, the dangerousness of many of these proposals. Uh, and, you know, hopefully it won't uh, pass the Senate uh, again this time. Well, uh, and again, you ran down all the stuff that's in there. And as I said, th this might lead someone to believe that they like the way things went so smoothly in the 2020 election and they want to see it happen again. Well, look, you know, I, there's a lot of talk about election fraud, the importance of maintaining election integrity. And, you know, many of the things that this bill prohibits are common sense measures that states have started to implement and that states should implement if they have not. Things like requiring a, a photo ID to vote. Uh, allowing states to cross 
check the accuracy of their voter rolls against federal databases, against the voter rolls of other states, uh, to be sure that only citizens are voting, to be sure that only eligible voters are voting, to be sure that someone's not registered uh, to vote in more than one state. So all of these things, uh, their common sense measures, uh, really are being prohibited by this bill. And so, again, the, the motivation, though, on the part of the Democrats, it's it's not uh, be, uh, for the people. It's for the Democrats. I mean, they're calling it the For the People Act of 2021, but everything that you uh, just listed there is um, is something that's going to make it more likely that people who shouldn't vote, vote. And how is that a good thing, and, and how, how are so many Democrats in favor of it for any other reason other than that just gives them a better chance of maintaining power? Well, I certainly don't think, think this bill is a good thing. I think it should not pass. I'm hopeful that it will not pass uh, the Senate. But look, many of these policies uh, uh, certainly seem to be popular with the Democratic Party base right now. Uh, but again, you know, I think anyone who looks at these provisions it will have will be our electoral process less secure uh, and and to really you know introduce more uncertainty into the process. And there are people out there who want to have uh, have you be able to vote online. Up in Canada, they're they're talking about voting by phone. Uh, I think Trudeau's in favor right. of voting by phone. So, it, you know, it's the same uh, the same uh, political philosophy up there. They're liberals uh, in in government up up in Canada now, and they're doing the same thing. They're they're trying to make it as easy as possible for people who shouldn't be voting to vote. Seems like it's widespread. Well, look, you know, I. I think everyone wants, you know, people to be able to vote freely and fairly. But you have to balance that against the integrity of the electoral process. And so, you know, I, I said it before, during the 2020 election, the goal for everyone should be to want every legally cast ballot, every legally cast ballot to be counted and that we don't want any illegally cast ballots to be counted. And so in implementing these procedures like photo ID, like cross-checking voter rolls, you know, requiring a pre-registration, all of that uh, helps ensure the integrity of the electoral process. We're talking to Zach Smith, the legal fellow for uh, legal and judicial studies at the Heritage Foundation. So why is early voting so important to them? Uh, and what happened to Election Day? You know, day in capital uh, letters, D-A-Y. Well, you know, you raise an interesting point, John. You know, if you go back to the original intent of the founding fathers, I think it's pretty clear uh, from their practice and from the text of the Constitution uh, that they want the states, particularly the state legislatures, uh, to take the lead in setting the time, place, and manner that elections are going to be run. Now, it does provide, the Constitution does provide that Congress uh, can set uh, rules or overrule the, the state legislatures in certain circumstances. But if you look back historically at the types of laws that Congress has enacted, uh, it's nothing like H.R. 1. You know, for instance, the reason we have a uniform national election day in November is because Congress passed a law implementing that. Uh, but it's nothing uh, that's really gotten down into the nuts and bolts of election procedure requiring specific processes and procedures, uh, certainly not on this extent uh, that we're seeing out of H.R. 1. And so this really, I think, flies in the face of the founders' intent. Uh, it, the state should be primarily in control of the election process and transfers a lot of that power uh, over to the federal government. Yeah, and um, the... The idea that people can vote early, um, I wonder, I'm just wondering where that originated. Um, I mean, I can, I, I don't remember, I, I've been voting for a long time. It seems pretty recently that there was even any such thing as an early voting day. There was election day and you showed up and you voted. Um, who, what, what was the foundation of that? And do you know what the historical, um, uh, the origination of that idea, where, where did it come from? to start, I mean, voting like a month before the election. Who, who came up with that? Right. I mean, early voting's really become more popular, more in vogue over the past several election cycles. You know, when it started, uh, it was only for, you know, several days immediately before the election uh, to give yeah. people, you know, a better opportunity to come to the polls and vote. 
but really this past election, like you were saying, it, it was extended uh, in ways we haven't previously seen. But, you know, John, in a lot of ways, early voting isn't as problematic as the no-fault widespread use of vote-by-mail. Uh, you know, historically, vote-by-mail has been used for people who cannot go to the polls on election day. Either they're, they have a medical issue where they can't physically go to a polling location, they're going to be out of town, unavailable uh, in their electoral district on election day. You know, they have to specifically request uh, an absentee ballot and give a reason for why they can't go in person and vote. Uh, but with what we saw this past election cycle in 2020 was uh, jurisdictions mailing absentee ballots to all registered voters, whether they requested one or not, uh, not requiring signature matches, not requiring photo ID vote by mail. And so in a lot of ways, vote by mail is by far the least secure method of voting. And so it becomes more important that some of those processes and procedures that safeguard uh, the electoral process are in place when vote by mail is used. And so the more widespread vote by mail becomes, the more important it is to have accurate and up-to-date voter rolls to cross-check the voter registration against other databases to require photo ID, all of those types of things uh, that, again, HR1 would prohibit. Uh, now, uh, Zach, they're, they're, they're trying to change the laws and they're trying to uh, take some of the power away from the states and some of the ju- jurisdiction in the vote voting process away from the states. But here in Pennsylvania, we already have a law that says only the state legislature can change the procedure, and the Supreme Court just did what it wanted to do, and nobody did anything about right. it, and they re- and they they appealed it to the United States Supreme Court, and got nowhere. So the law is right there on the books that only the legislature can make the change. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, well, we're going to do it anyway. And uh, they voted, whatever it was, five to two. And it's a Democrat, it's, an, it's an elected body, and they're Democrats. And there was no way that they were ever going to not allow that. So they just changed it. And so what's the point of having any laws if, if, the, if the courts aren't even going to back up the ones that exist? Well, my colleague Hans von Swagowski and I have an article at the Daily Signal about the U.S. Supreme Court's decision not to hear those election cases out of Pennsylvania. Uh, and I agree. I agree with Justice uh, Clarence Thomas that it was really a baffling decision that they didn't take this opportunity to clarify the laws uh, when they could do so with full briefing under their normal process and without the outcome of an election hanging in the balance. And so, you know, John, I think, unfortunately, the Supreme Court is going to be confronted with these very same questions again in the future. You know, who has the authority to to make the electoral rules? Uh, what's the remedy when another body, whether it's the state court, a federal court, or a state executive official like the governor, tries to change those rules? And, you know, Unfortunately, election litigation often takes place on a very condensed timeline. It's often messy. And I think, you know, the, the courts, especially the Supreme Court, will be asked to address this issue again in the future. And it may, uh, you know, it may place the court in a very difficult position. We're talking to Zach Smith. He's a fellow for legal and judicial studies at the Heritage Foundation and a uh, former assistant U.S. attorney. Uh, finishing up here, as I, again, getting back to, to what the Supreme Court did or didn't do here in Pennsylvania, I mean, I, there are many things that uh, I'm not smart enough to uh, and not uh, enough of a legal scholar to have any kind of a, a uh, learned, learned opinion on a, on a legal issue. But this was such a slam dunk thing. It's right there in writing that the, that only the legislature can do it. What was uh, you guys wrote about this? But what what were they thinking at the Supreme Court that they that they thought that they could just blow this off and and it wasn't going to come back in their face and the next time uh, an election comes around? Well, we don't know because when they decline to take up a case, they don't have to give their reasons for why they're not taking it up. But Justice Clarence Thomas uh, and Justice Samuel Alito uh, wrote blistering dissents, and Justice Gorsuch joined Alito's dissent. You know, and Justice Thomas really uh, took his colleagues to task, and he said, you know, the decision not to hear this case, it's baffling. It leaves election law uh, clouded under a veil of secrecy uh, and confusion. And he said the court should take up the case. Uh, It'll be asked to do so probably in the future. 
and that really the justices owe it uh, to the country, uh, to the citizens, to decide these important questions. And he was, uh, he was very disappointed in his colleagues that they voted not to take up the case. And I, you know, I agree with Justice yeah. Thomas. The decision is baffling, and I hope they'll, uh, they'll clarify these issues soon. Zach, I'm out of time. I really appreciate you being here. The Democrats are uh, working on making it worse, which is something they seem to be pretty good at. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, John. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, that's Zach Smith of the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. President Biden says the U.S. expects to take delivery of enough coronavirus vaccine for all adults by the end of May. That's two months earlier than anticipated. He's also pushing states to get at least one shot in the arms of teachers by the end of March to hasten school reopenings. The Pentagon says U.S. contractor died when at least 10 rockets slammed into an airbase housing U.S. and other coalition troops in western Iraq. The contractor suffered a cardiac episode while sheltering and died shortly afterward. The Border Patrol says 13 people killed in that Southern California crash on Wednesday morning were among a total of 44 people who entered the U.S. through a hole cut in the border fence with Mexico. Stocks finishing lower, the Dow fell 121 points. The Nasdaq was off 361 today. This is SRN News. A heart attack? He was 47. What about Janice and the kids? Do they have life insurance? No. Call Select Quote now and get the insurance your family needs at a price you can afford. In minutes, Select Quote found John, 45, in excellent health, a $500,000 policy for only $29 a month. And his wife, Anne, 43, in excellent health, a $500,000 policy for only $21 a month. At Select Quote, we comparison shop some of the most trusted insurance companies in America to find you the best rate in minutes. And it's free. For your free quote, call 1-800-644-1331. That's 1-800-644-1331. Or go to selectquote.com. That's 1-800-644-1331. Select quote. We shop. You save. Get full details on the example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. Hugh Hewitt explains what we'll see out of Trump. Bottom line, the news takeaway. Uh, Trump won't split the Republican Party. He may run. He certainly isn't going to go away, and he certainly is not going to lead a reclusive expert. He's going to be like pre- former President Obama in his former presidency, deeply involved in politics from the get-go. The Hugh Hewitt Show, weekday mornings at 6, right before Mike Gallagher at 9 on AM 1250. The answer. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. Order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only $19.95 to see if it will work for you too. Call 800 800- 500-8384. ReliefFactor.com. A heart attack? He was 47. What about Janice and the kids? Do they have life insurance? No. Call Select Quote now and get the insurance your family needs at a price you can afford. In minutes, Select Quote found John, 45, in excellent health, a $500,000 policy for only $29 a month. And his wife, Anne, 43, in excellent health, a $500,000 policy for only $21 a month. At Select Quote, we comparison shop some of the most trusted insurance companies in America to find you the best rate in minutes. And it's free. For your free quote, call 1-800-644-1331. That's 1-800-644-1331. Or go to selectquote.com. That's 1-800-644-1331. Select quote. We shop. You save. Get full details on the example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. WPGP. Pittsburgh.
a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer Mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Been a very busy Wednesday afternoon. Still is outbound on the Parkway East at Solid Boulevard of the Allies out to Edgewood, Swissvale. Looks like a good 10 extra minutes or more. On the inbound side, especially heavy county jail to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Parkway West congestion delays inbound Carnegie to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Outbound 65 Ohio River Boulevard delays as you approach the McKees Rocks Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer, Weather. Tonight we'll see mostly cloudy skies. Expect a low tonight of 31, turning much colder tomorrow. It'll be breezy with clouds giving way to some sunshine, the high only reaching 35. Tomorrow night we'll see clear skies with a low of 20. Friday will be mostly sunny. It'll be breezy in the afternoon. We'll wrap up the work week with a high of 37. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. This is the John Stacker Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Now, my first exposure to Dr. Seuss was listening to my little brother reading The Cat in the Hat. And that was a long, long time ago. Um, and I would never have predicted that this many years later, school systems would be banning those books. Uh, but there are a lot of things going on now that nobody could have predicted, I guess. Uh, John Daniel Davidson. Political editor at The Federalist says that the move to cancel Dr. Seuss is a predictor of things to come, and he joins us now. John, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So uh, you wrote that the left flattens and refashions the past in a weapon for the culture wars of the present. Who saw the refashioning of Dr. Seuss coming? (laughs) Well, once they went for Mr. Potato Head, you know, yeah. It was only a matter of time <laughs> yeah. uh, before before Dr. Seuss was next. No, I, I mean, really, it could be anything at this point, uh, you, no matter how trivial, no matter uh, how wholesome. Uh, you know, they'll probably cancel uh, Mr. Rogers before long. The point is, though, that uh, the the impulse to go after the past, whether it's statues or whether it's uh, beloved authors or whether it's books, is indicative of a broader strategy that the left is using to eliminate obstacles to uh, sort of a, a woke revolution that they are that they are pursuing. Uh, and, and when I say revolution, I, I mean it. They, they mean to uh, overthrow the old way of living in this country, uh, the old forms of government and habits of society, and replace them with their vision of, of uh, what society should be. Yeah, and I, I read your piece, and I and I, I agree with everything you wrote there, and uh, and I agree with what you just said. But um, I mean, I'm trying to. Uh, does Nancy Pelosi sit around with Chuck Schumer and say, you know, what can we do? What what has what part of American history can we cancel this week? Or you know, what part of our culture that everybody loves can we destroy? Where is this coming from? I mean, it's, it's is it coming from Washington D.C.? Is it coming from academia? Where is it coming from? Both? It's, it started in academia decades ago, and it, from there it has filtered down into the rest of the culture. So this is not just something that's an ivory tower, uh, you know, sociology department thing that the rest of us can kind of laugh at. This has yeah. filtered down through academia into corporate boardrooms, into Silicon Valley, onto Wall Street, into our public schools, and yes, uh, even into the halls of Congress, uh, you know, con- you know, the, the House, whether or not Nancy Pelosi thinks it's a good idea or not, doesn't really matter because she's not in charge. But the House just passed the Equality Act, which would destroy girls and women's sports right. and locker rooms and shelters. Uh, you know, that's what I mean when I say they are getting rid of impediments to their revolutionary vision. Um, and, and that's true of this, you know, the cancellation of, of, of books and of, of even of children's books as much as it is the cancellation of women's sports. Yeah, and, and so you made a uh, comparison to uh, communist China, and it really you can, you, can, you can make comparisons to most totalitarian um, governments, but we're not supposed to have one of those, are we? A totalitarian government, I didn't think. 
No, we're not. And, and the reason I make the comparison to China is because it was specifically pitched and pursued as a cultural revolution in China. You know, uh, Democrats in Congress don't have to dictate to the estate of Dr. Seuss to do this. Uh, in the statement, uh, the estate said that they consulted with academics, right? And they consulted with experts. Well, these experts come from these disciplines in academia that are radically left, that do have a revolutionary vision for American society. And so, you know, much like the cultural revolution in China in the 1960s, you know, the, the, the goal back then was for the Communist Party to destroy what they called the four olds, old customs, old cultural, old habits and old ideas. And something similar is underway now. And as I said, it's, it's permeated almost every uh, aspect of society and certainly our elite institutions and the corridors of power in America. And um, this couldn't be done without the media either being clueless about it or in favor of it, one or the other? I think the media is largely on board with it. You know, we used to talk about the mainstream media, but it's not really a good term anymore. The media is not really mainstream. They don't reflect mainstream views. It's better to call them the corporate media or the elite media because they, for the most part, espouse the same kinds of revolutionary, radically left viewpoints that you see in academia that you increasingly see from corporate America and big tech and and Hollywood and Silicon Valley. So um, whether regardless of where this began or where it originated and and who's pushing it the most, it's out there. And um, Nancy Pelosi, I mean, I think she's an idiot politically, but I don't think she's a stupid person. and Chuck Schumer and all the people that uh, we see every day on the Democrat side, um, how is it that they think this is a good thing? That's what that, this is what puzzles me. Uh, how can any American think that this is a good thing? Is it only because it results in them, them getting more power, or do they actually think it is a good thing? Well, I think some of them think it's a good thing, um, but I think others, like Nancy Pelosi, uh, see it uh, just as in, in – expedient thing you know it, it's a way to hold on to power uh it's it's a way for for uh, democrats to uh, force other people uh, to do what they say um but you know younger democrats like aoc and and the squad they i think they really do believe this stuff and they're the ones who are really in charge nancy pelosi in some ways is uh, is a figurehead is is a um uh, is is an empty uh throne in in a way she's not the one who's making the the calls on this stuff. Uh, she's not the one who's really in charge of the Democratic conference. The the left wing of the base is, and and this is their program. This is their revolution, uh, from the Green New Deal to the Equality Act. This is the stuff that they want to do. That's the scary thing. Uh, and we're talking to John Daniel Davis, and political editor at the Federalist. Uh, that's the scary thing is that there are people like uh, AOC who is unbelievably ignorant about so many things that uh, she becomes more and more prominent all the time, and uh, she's in a position where she's never going to be unelected from where, you know, in the the district where she's from. So she's here forever. And as long as she's allowed to have a a platform, we're going to keep getting the same thing. Uh, That's right. And as long as the... the base of the Democratic Party keeps moving left as it is, uh, then we're going to see more and more of, of this kind of radical stuff, you know. And, and it's interesting to note this is happening while the Democratic Party is becoming more sort of uh, ethnically and racially and socioeconomically monolithic. It's becoming a party of educated, well-off white people. And, and the, you know, the polling and some of the research coming out of the 2020 election uh, shows that, you know, the Democratic Party is shedding working class black and Hispanic voters, uh, and GOP is really becoming a, a working-class, diverse party, and the Democrats are, are a monolith, and they, they happen to be a, a, a increasingly a monolith of radical leftist revolutionaries. So th- th- this isn't over. This is just beginning. It's pretty scary. You have an interesting story in your piece uh, at uh, thefederalist.com about uh, a statue in the city of Charlottesville that you say they should just dynamite it and get it over with. <laughs> well, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. You know, it starts with statues 
it goes to books and it ends with people, right? Uh, yeah. The, the uh, city of Charlottesville has done its best to get rid of all its Confederate statues and the ones they haven't been able to get rid of, they've stood aside while people defaced them and, and uh, damaged them. Uh, but, they're, but, but they've moved on from Confederates. Mm-hmm. As many of us said, the left would. It's not really about the Confederacy or, you know, the Civil War or Confederates being traitors. That, that, was, all, uh, that, was, that was all a, a red herring. This is about the past. And so anyone and anything from the past has to be recast and torn down and uh, depicted as an enemy. And so in in Charlottesville, they have a big old statue of uh, Lewis and Clark, the explorers. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a a giant 18-foot tall bronze statue uh, and features Sacagawea, their their Native American guides who are crouching behind them. And uh, the city wants to get rid of it. And they're just begging anyone who can safely take it away to take it away for free. Uh, and, and you're right. I make the point that, you know, at this point, you know, they've shown themselves to be much like the Taliban. So they should act like the Taliban and just blow the thing up. <laughs> yeah. And they, uh, that's, what's interesting, uh, John, I don't know if you know this, because I, I, this, this was amazing to me. Because when I saw the story that you have in there about the, the, uh, the Lewis and Clark statue, uh, I read a book, uh, a biography of Thomas Jefferson about 20 years ago, and in the book it talked about how Jefferson tutored uh, Meriwether Lewis and uh, talked to him about all the things he wanted him to bring back from his expedition, and he stayed with Jefferson at the White House for a long time and just, like, they, they, they went over what, what was going to happen on the trip. But what I didn't know was that Meriwether Lewis came to Pittsburgh uh, to get the boat it's called a keel that they ended up going down the river with and, and started their exp- they started their expedition right on the spot where Heinz Field is right now. That's where the, that's where the mm-hmm. Lewis and Clark expedition started. But well, the reason I'm bringing this up for two things. Number one, I'm, I've, I'm, I've always been kind of a history nut, and I, was, I had never been told in school, I knew all about the Lewis and Clark expedition, but I had never been told that it started right here in Pittsburgh, that that's you know, they left from the shores of, uh, I guess it would have been the Ohio. But, but the other thing is, because of that, because the, 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 uh, the expedition did start here, if the mayor is listening right now, he should go get that statue and put it right down on the point here in Pittsburgh. <laughs> because it's, that's, right. it's, it's, this, that's where it should be. This is where, that's where it that's started. Right. It's a great point, and if the mayor won't do it, then you ought to start a GoFundMe and get uh, philanthropists and donors together in Pittsburgh and put it on a piece of private land. Um, you know, if Charlottesville yeah. doesn't want it, Pittsburgh should take it. <laughs> yeah, and they, well, of course, they. Uh, we've had uh, just recently the mayor was okay with removing a statue of Christopher Columbus, uh, speaking of statues. So, oh, yeah, well, good uh, luck with Lewis and Clark then. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And while we're on the subject, uh uh, what do you make of of Amazon uh, taking down a documentary on uh, Clarence Thomas uh, just in the middle of Black History Month a couple of weeks ago? I'm not surprised by that at all. Amazon is a deeply censorious uh, company that is deeply intolerant of uh, conservative views. Um, they just canceled uh, a book by a man named Ryan Anderson, uh, that was uh, critical of transgenderism. This is a, a book from right. 2018. A very well done, very well reviewed book, uh, well reviewed by other academics and scholars. Um, book came out two years ago, but uh, amid outcry over uh, over transgenderism, uh, Amazon uh, canceled the book last month. Um, so this is the kind of thing we can expect, as I said, from Silicon Valley and big tech. They're not interested in uh, free exchange of ideas. They never were. Um, they are biased against conservatives and conservative ideas. And increasingly, these companies are run by woke, radical, left-wing uh, college grads uh, who want to impose their doctrinaire, left-wing, radical views on the entire country. And um, um, another thing, it's just kind of a little bit off the subject here, but I, what I don't understand, because uh, this is happening with Amazon, everybody knows it's happened with Twitter and YouTube and, and you know everybody being canceled, um, why is it that, that there are a lot of um, people with conservative political uh, leanings who have lots and lots of money? Why is it that Amazon uh, is is controlled by a liberal and YouTube and Twitter? What, where were the where have the conservatives been that there isn't at least one company like that with a with a lot of influence and power 
that that was um, created and or taken over by by conservatives. It, it just it boggles my mind that it, that you have to keep putting up with this, and it, it's, you never see a conservative in the same position that, that that the people running these other platforms are in. Yeah, for a long time, wealthy conservatives have put their money into think tanks uh, and institutes and uh, uh, in, into uh, foundations uh, and nonprofits and not uh, into uh, building tech companies, uh, for example. But I think there's a shift going. I think conservatives are starting to wake up to the fact, especially when, when Amazon Web Services you know, basically shut down Parler, which was the, the sort of yeah. the alternative to Twitter uh, after the election. I think conservatives, um, and hopefully conservative you know, businessmen and philanthropists are starting to wake up to the fact that, you know, they uh, need to get with the program and come up with alternatives and come up with uh, places that actually do care about the free exchange of ideas and will tolerate dissent because Twitter, Facebook, Amazon, these are deeply intolerant, illiberal companies. And it it comes, it's coming out more and more. It's undeniable at this point. Yeah. Uh, and look, I mean, look how long it took to to come up with uh, Fox News as a conservative network after all, so many years of um, you know liberals being in charge. It took until it's only been what twenty five years, not even twenty five years since Fox has been around. Uh, finishing up here with uh, John Daniel Davison, just um, on this subject, uh, John. Again, is this a is this part of a plan? Or just the natural, inevitable result of you know what's been taught on college campuses for the last forty or fifty years, or is, is, is there well, somebody? I would, I would say planning this. Yeah, I would say it's both. It, it, it's part of a plan, and that plan uh, includes um, you know introducing these ideas into academia and filtering them down, not not just through colleges, but now through high schools and middle schools and elementary schools. Uh, you know, it's how we went from. Um, you know, no one, no one having, uh, you know, really any experience with, uh, transgenderism 25 years ago to having, you know, a, a, a trans, uh, story hour at the public libraries, you know, oh, as a, as a, yeah. as a commonplace thing. Uh, yeah. so it, it's a long-term plan. That's one thing I'll say, uh, for the left and give them credit for is that they do think long-term in ways that the right often does not. And uh, this project, this progressive radical project, is uh, is very old. It goes back; its roots go back more than a century. Um, but but the the kinds of things we're seeing now began percolating through our college and universities decades ago, and now they're everywhere. And the people who have been educated, completely educated, according to these ideas, are in in uh, staff staffing positions at the New York Times, uh, in, in at Netflix, at Amazon, in really powerful uh, numbers, so that they can really dictate to the owners of these companies um, the, the terms of the the company's conduct. And and we've seen that over and over at places like the New York Times and the Atlantic and these other media companies. Hey, John, I'm out of time. I, I have a feeling we may be doomed, but maybe we can talk about that sometime <laughs> down the road. Thanks. Always good to have you on. Great piece at thefederalist.com. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's John Daniel Davidson. We'll be right back. Some home repairs just can't wait for spring, especially a leaky roof or drafty old windows. Well, you can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, windows, gutters, and downspouts, siding, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew, so don't put it off. Right now, Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through dollar bank get new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office choose from 100 percent vinyl commercial aluminum wood and composite and to show their appreciation to stag fans everywhere you'll also get 10 percent off your total project when you mention this show Get 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and 10% off. Backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsrspittsburgh.com. That's windowsrspittsburgh.com. In 1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. 
The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Middle Park Road, Melbourne, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to animalistconsumeraccess.org. Corporate animalist number 1335. Rack animalist number 65233. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. Warning. Listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. And speaking of toxic masculinity, just on cue here. Uh, the Washington Redskins, have, not the Redskins anymore, the Washington football team has decided to uh, eliminate uh, the cheerleaders. Uh, they are going to go with a, with, a, with a red, they were called the Redskinettes, and they were good-looking women in scanty outfits. And uh, they're going to go with a, with, a <laughs> with a co-ed unit now. They had issues down there with uh, sexual um, Harassment, and that was a pretty pretty nasty place to work down there for women for a long time. So you can see whether and and a lot of the sexual harassment was directed, as you would expect, toward these cheerleaders who would show up at functions and uh, really good looking and and all that. And anyway, so they're going to they're going to replace those uh, really good looking uh, women in in not very many clothes with some guys dancing down there, and um, that's a real bad idea. But here's the thing. Uh, they're, they're called cheerleaders, and I just want to make sure you understand that the record for all NFL cheerleaders is still intact. Uh, there are several teams that have cheerleaders. They're all the same. They're really good-looking women in really uh, small outfits, and the record is intact. There still has never been one cheer ever led by an NFL cheerleading team. Hey, that ain't why they're there. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.